open your Bibles, if you would, to the to an easy book to find, the book of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament. So if you go to Matthew and just turn left, you're going to find it. Go to Matthew chapter 1, <clears throat> Matthew chapter 1, and uh, while you're turning there to find that Old Testament book, I uh, want to encourage you uh, with some great news. Um, and that is that uh, yesterday, half-day teacher training session, 26 Sunday school teachers and our director came out, spent a half-day uh, learning how to teach God's Word effectively, and uh, so that was really good. I'm going to do that. I'm going to invest with them about four times, five times a year on a personal basis like that, getting together and trying to train and help them because they have the the difficult job, but rewarding job of coming in every week and the privilege of teaching you God's Word. And so we've got to invest in leaders, and uh, I'm just big on that. This is going to be a great year for our church. I also believe that. Uh, we've learned a lot. We've grown a lot in the previous year. And uh, now it's time to start putting some of that uh, on the ground. And I was talking to someone, and somebody said, one of our guests this morning, you know what, you're going to have to expand this place a little bit. And... We are going to. We have 16 acres, about a mile up the road here. And we're going to expand it significantly for God's glory and for God's kingdom that His name might be known to this community. So yes, we are working with architects. Yes, they are working. They have not showed us any drawings yet, but I've been communicating back and forth with them on programming, square footage, things like that. And uh, so we are excited about that in the future really looks awesome. Now, I want to speak to you <clears throat> from my heart this morning, very much so. After this whole week, I prayed about what to preach, and I tell you, it has just a, been a crazy year for anybody who is a pastor and who wants to honor God and His Word and yet love on people. It's just been a challenge, but this is where my heart lies. This is where my heart lies. What do we do? What do you do? What do I do? To boil it down more specifically. When church and worship becomes wearying. What's our responsibility? How, how do we get the joy back? I want to share with you out of Malachi. Last book of the Old Testament. When Malachi closes. Most of you will have one blank page between the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew. For 400 years after this message, God was silent. Not a prophet, not a word. 400 years. God didn't really speak. And then when he spoke, the writer of Hebrews says he spoke through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God has been dealing with Israel. It is time for the Messiah to come shortly. And he reaches out and he speaks through a prophet, Malachi, to a nation that is sick with sin, to a nation that has polluted worship, to a nation that has become tired with worship. His people. And in Malachi chapter 1, Verse 6, God is speaking, and God says this, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. 
If then I am the Father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence? Some of your translations may have the word fear there. Where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts? To you priests, and he's speaking particularly to those who are in the temple. To you priests who despise my name. And then, as always, uh, they ask him this kind of a smart-alecky, little jokey, flippant question. Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? I want you to look right over at verse 13. There's something else they were saying. You also say, oh, what a weariness. And you sneer at it. Some translations probably have the word sniff there. It's like, you know, let's go to church. You know, and you kind of wrinkle up your nose. It's like, ah, you know, do that. What a weariness. You sneer at it says the Lord of hosts. And you bring the stolen. That word literally is the uh, is a different word, but it means to be torn. You bring the lame and the sick. That's how you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord. Now that's the key, verse 13. There were those in this day who were saying in the nation of Israel about the temple worship, oh my, oh how tedious, oh how tasteless, the, the, the hours and the temple, what a, oh the weariness of this worship business, and all of the singing, and, and, and I'm just sick of it, and I'm tired of it, and then, you know, and he says that they, they sneer at it, they, they turned up their noses at worship of God. And they just sneered at worshiping God. So, so I want to speak to you today about what do you do? What do you do when worship, when church, when serving the Lord becomes wearying? And incidentally, now this could be, I think, the great sickness and sin in America today. It's not a, not a lack of worship, but a lack of listen, not a lack of church services. May I put it that way? But a lack of serious. Sincere, true, heartfelt worship and giving of praise to God. So many people, they, they go to church in America, they just trudge to church Sunday after Sunday. Like they're doing God some wild favor. And, and they sit in church and they check things off in the bulletin and they look around and find mistakes and they take things in and they're trying to interest themselves in and... They can hardly wait for the service to be over, and they say, well, you know, I did my duty again. Oh, that's tiring, going to church. The thrill is gone. The, the excitement is gone. The real, real love. They've lost the zest, if you will, the, the joy of serving the Lord and worshiping the Lord. Now, if you're that way, you've been a Christian for some while, let me just say that's a dangerous condition to be in. And this morning you need to pay attention if the enjoyment and the genuine heartfelt praise has gone out of your worship. Now I've gotten tired, I'm going to say this, I've gotten tired in the work many times. And that's possible. But I've never gotten tired of the work. And uh, 
you know, I understand now. I'm not talking about just getting tired. I'm talking about when our attitude changes and we're just, man, we just can't sing the songs with enjoyment or we're focused on a thousand things. I want to say very simply, somebody asked me last week, like, how do you, how do you, like, do it? How do you stay, you know, like, all these years excited about the Lord? Listen, I, I don't mean this, but I'd like to be proud or anything, but I just don't know any other way to do it. I was lost. I was on my way to hell. I was in such terrible shape, and incidentally, so were you, before he found you. And he redeemed you, and he brought me and you back into his family, and he has adopted us into his family, and he brought us out of the kingdom of darkness and translated us into the son, the kingdom of his dear son. He's given us heaven, and so much more. What he's done for my family, if I just think about it a little bit, I don't have anything to complain about. But I do want to say this. I think we hit on it Wednesday night. I, I believe very simply that an unexcited Christian is a Christian who has forgotten who God is. That's all, that's all he or she is. A Christian, someone who is bored with worship and worship is weary, is a Christian who has forgotten who God is. And that's what Malachi is reminding the nation of Israel here. And he's reminding us here today exactly who God is. And when we see it, our desire to worship will be absolutely uncontainable. And so I want to give you some things today. I really want you to listen. I want you to focus in. I'm going to get you to turn in your Bible. Keep your place in Malachi. Other times we're going to turn other ways. First we're in Malachi. But if you want to put the, the life back in your worship, if you're wondering why, why church and why worship has become kind of boring and dead to you. First of all, number one, write this down. You need to recognize the nature of God. <coughs> the very nature of God. We've forgotten this. In verse 6, notice what he says. God is speaking. God says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is my honor? If I am a master... Where is my reference? And so God uses two terms. He says, I'm a father and I'm a master. Now that's part of his nature. That's who he is. First of all, he mentions the, that his nature is the nature of a father. And if God is a father, then all those who know Christ are his sons and daughters. The Bible teaches us plainly. What is a son, what is a daughter owed to their father? Huh? I'll tell you. They owe to a father honor. You know what the Bible says? Honor your father and your mother. The original language, that word in Hebrew, literally means to attach weight, like importance. These are weighty words. That is, to take something with seriousness and to give it weight. And uh, if you don't take God seriously, listen, one, worship's always going to be a bother to you. I mean, worship's always going to be boring to you. But when you understand that God of this universe is your father and that you've been born into a family, his family, by a new birth, that he gave you life when you were dead, that he redeemed you from the fall, that he adopted you into his own family, that has made you a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ, that you are going to come before him then, listen, not in some lackadaisical don't care attitude, but you're going to come with such love and devotion to honor, to honor your great father 
Amen. Now, people who don't honor God, if people don't honor God, and they're simply people who just don't take God seriously. They don't really give God any weight in their lives, and that's what's happened in our country. Nobody gives God any weight anymore. Oh, they give Him lip service, and they talk about God, but when it comes down to their actions, they don't give God the honor. They're afraid of death to pray in His Son's name. They're not afraid of offending the Father. Far more afraid of offending people than offending the Father. Far more afraid of hurting someone than hurting the Father and breaking the Father's heart. So don't give God weight in their life. You know that, you know that God would rather us not come to church at all than to come to church and not take Him seriously. Now I believe that. And the Bible teaches that in the book of the Revelation. You don't need to turn there, but you can write it down in your margin. Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. Our Lord is speaking to a church at the end of the age. And they're in a lukewarm period. And he says to these, these people, you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were hot or cold. But because you are neither hot nor cold, but lukewarm. That is, you are just lukewarm. He says, I will spew you out of my mouth. Now see, God, what he's saying is God would rather have you cold, out and out, just against him, than to have you know him and be here lukewarm, coming to church, insulting him with half-hearted worship. You know what Dr. G. Campbell Morgan said about half-hearted worship? He said lukewarmness, lukewarmness is the worst form of blasphemy. You know why? Because it's, it's worse than not even believing in God. You know why? Because, because lukewarmness says, and the atheist says, I don't believe in God. So at least he's consistent with his position when he doesn't come to church. She is or he is. But you know what lukewarmness says? It says this. It says, oh God, I believe in you. You just don't move me. You just don't inspire me. You just don't excite me. So first of all, when you and I come to church, when we come into a worship service, I want you to understand this about the person of God, the one you're coming to worship. God is your Father. So how do we react to that? Let's make this practical. We come in and we come to church and we bow our head with great gratitude. And you and I say, dear God, in everything I do today, the way I sit, the way I talk, the way I smile, the way I welcome guests, the way I sing and worship, the way I listen, God, may you, as my Father, be honored. Now, some of you have children. You know how they act when you get guests over, don't you? Why is it sometimes that kids can be calm and nice all day, and then you get guests over, and they decide to go ballistic on it? You all want your kids to act in a way, don't you, that honors you. Isn't it pleasant when they do that? When your kids do things that honor you, that speak well of you, people see them and they say to you, I met your son, I met your daughter. Wow, was I impressed. You see, God says in verse 6, I'm a father. You're my sons and daughters. Honor me as such. Come to him and say, Lord, I want to honor you. And then God says in verse 6, I'm a master. I'm a father. You're my son. He says, I'm a master. You're my servant. You see, we're sons and we're servants. 
Have you ever known that? That, that, that? that then he says, if I'm your master, you owe me what? Reverence. That doesn't mean that we quake in our boots when we think of God because we know we have forgiveness and standing in Christ. But what it does mean is that we never, in our familiarity with Him as Father, lose the, the consciousness of, of His holy presence as the master of this universe, that we come before Him with a sense of holy awe, awe, and reverence. I was amazed in India, I just got back from there, and I was amazed at how the believers would pray. In more than one place, I heard people pray this way. As they bow their head to pray, the pastor might pray this. Not all the time, but many times I heard it. Jesus, Master, tell us what to do. Oh, Master, I'm yours. Be honest, I never hear Americans pray that term. I never hear Americans. Very few times do I ever hear anybody in America pray, humble themselves, Master, tell us what to do. And in Scripture, you know, now we're not just called slaves, we're called bond slaves or bond servants of the Lord. It's the idea of someone who has been sold to sin but has been bought out of the marketplace of sin and put now into the service of the Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. And since we've been bought, and we were bought, lock, stock, and barrel, and we don't belong to ourselves, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, we're not our own. We've been bought with a price. And it says what? Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. He owns us. He's the master. If he's the master, where is his reverence? This is something that the church is losing in America. I'm all for reaching people. And I'm all for contemporary models of what it takes to reach people who are, are, are unchurched. But I will tell you that as Christians, we have to maintain and we have to remember that He is not only our Father who loves us, He is our Master who rules over us. God, I want two things. Two, when I come into the place of worship, God, I want to honor You. You're my Father. God, I want to respect and reverence You. You are my Master. And the Bible says the fear of the Lord, the respect of the When the Bible says fear of the Lord, and it says that time and again, doesn't mean that we're afraid like just of him all the time so that we run from him, but it does mean that he is mighty. He is the master and, and there, there is much to fear in him. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We sit in church sometimes. We're so frivolous. We're so disrespectful to him church sometimes. We're just so indifferent. We're just not paying attention. And, and God is saying to the people of Israel here, his own dear people, you are fearing me. Now this is not an unhealthy fear. <laughs> this is a very healthy fear. You know, some things you ought to be afraid of, right? There's such a thing as healthy fears. 
But it's not a filthy fear. This is a clean fear of the Lord. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is clean. You know what the fear of the Lord is? It's not some clean, cringing, you know, dread of God. But it is the reverence that is due to His holy name. The worship, the praise, the awe of this awesome, mighty, almighty God. Who is our master? I'll tell you what the, what the fear of the Lord is. You know what the fear of the Lord really is? Here, here's what it is. The fear of the Lord, when the Bible talks about fear of the Lord, here's what it means. The love. It's love. We love Him. But it is also love bowed down. I love you. But I shall never forget that you're the master. I'm the servant. Tell me where to go. My life is about bringing glory to you. Incidentally, absolutely nothing wrong with being a slave if you have a great master. Not the, the slave doesn't have a concern if he has a great master. Amen? Doesn't have to put shoes on his feet, clothes on his back, food on the table. The only problem with being a slave is when you've got a terrible master. If you've got a great master... That treats you like a son. That treats you, brings you into the family. Listen, you are to reverence him as master. And so, you honor him as father. You reverence him as master. You just understand, you recognize the nature of God. Now, number two, if you'd like to put life back into your worship, you must reverence the name of God. You only rec you have to recognize His nature, but you have to reverence the name of God. I want you to look at the rest of verse 6. Now we're just taking this right out of God's Word. God is speaking. God says, to you priests who do what? Who despise my name. And here's that question again. You know, where, 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 where have we despised your name? So what made their worship? Wearying, huh? It was that they had despised his name. He says so. Now ask that flippant question, these Old Testament priests. How have we despised your name? Now you have to remember in the New Testament, we're called priests too. The Christians are. Scriptures tell us that we're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation, a peculiar people set apart. So this can apply to us. So, so how did they despise the name of God? You know how they did it? Look in verse 7. They did it with their sacrifices. Look at verse 7. You offered defiled food on my altar. But you say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying, the table of the Lord is contemptible. Now, the table of the Lord is a table that when you would go into the Old Testament temple, the tabernacle, there was a table uh, that was laid out right before the altar where they would take the animal sacrifices on that table and they would cut them up and get them ready for what was called the burnt offering in the Old Testament. And, and what they said was the table of the Lord is contemptible. And here's how they said it. Now listen to me. Their sacrifices indicated something, first of all, about their lives. Look down in verse 8. Look at verse 8. When you offer the blind as a sacrifice... Is it not evil? When you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? 
Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Now this is God speaking. Notice again in verse 13. He says in verse 13, you may also say, you also say, oh, what a weariness. And, and you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring the stolen. Now, just write in your margin there, write the word torn. That's what it means. This is a picture of a beast, that, uh, a lamb that has been killed by another animal. You, you bring the torn, the lame, and the sick. Thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hands, says the Lord? Now, here's what they did. These people had the audacity. They had the unmitigated goal to come to worship God. And for the offering, they would bring an old flea-bitten goat. They would bring an old blind sheep. They would bring a dead cow that had been killed out in the field by some wolf or something and torn and left there. They'd bring the carcass. That which is torn, verse 13 says, and they offered it to the Lord. Now, if you were to go back, write this in your margin, Exodus 22 and Leviticus 22, God says that every offering that is to be made to the Lord was to be the best. It was to be unblemished. <clears throat> unblemished. You know why they were to be the best and unblemished? Because all of those offerings in the Old Testament were a picture of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. A lamb without spot, a lamb without blemish, sinless, giving himself for us who were blemished and torn and, and, and blind. And Jesus, the sinless lamb of God being offered for us. And here they are. Giving that which is to represent his coming sacrifice. But they're bringing these blemished animals, these lame, these torn, these flea-bitten, crippled, and blind animals to God as an offering to God. It was an insult to God. Because it spoke something of their disrespect and disregard for the person and work of the Messiah who was coming. The Lord Jesus Christ. Now I'm telling you, the Lamb of God, the perfect, spotless Lamb, died for you and for me. How dare we bring anything but our best to the Lord? Amen. Do you know what the Bible says in Exodus 22 about these kind of offerings when you brought them? Write it down. Exodus 22:31. God gives instructions to the Israelites about what they were to do with the beast that had been killed. Uh, 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 lamb or something that had been killed by a wild beast. Here's what it says. Listen to it. You are holy to me. You shall not even eat meat torn by beast in the field. You shall throw it to the dogs. Let me tell you what they were doing. Let me tell you what they were doing. They were giving God dog food. That's what they were doing. They were taking that which was torn in the field, the carcass of an animal, these crippled animals, and these blind, and they were offering them to God in the temple. You want to make your worship come alive? You, listen, you really want to get like the sense of His pleasure, the sense of His presence? <clears throat> then you give. When you come before the Lord, you give the very best that you have. Amen. 
and you will see your worship come alive. Some of the greatest, greatest worship I have ever experienced is after a time where Kim and I have prayed and the church was in a time of challenge and we gave everything we had that we could possibly scrape up. And it scared me to death many times. But when I finally turned loose of it and, and I didn't have stuff and stuff didn't have me, I tell you the freedom. There was nothing, nothing standing in the way. Nothing between he and I. And that's, listen, where your treasure is, that, that's where your heart's going to be. And many people, many people have a heartless worship because they've never really given anything sacrificial to God. They just simply give God the cast off, the castaways, the leftovers. And we treat sometimes human beings better than we treat God. Then we're sitting wondering why we don't get anything out of worship. Now notice what Malachi says in verse 8. When you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? When you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? <clears throat> offer it then to your governor. Would he then be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably? You know, let's just see. God just basically saying, just see if you can get about that on a human plane. Amen? I mean, just think about it. Now, now let's give you an example. The taxes are going to be due on April 15th. And you write the IRS letter and you say, listen, we just had a streak of bad luck this year. I mean, our children have been sick, and, you know, I, I was out of work some, and I want you to know that we've decided we're just not going to send our income tax this year. Now, it's not that we don't care, not that we're not on board, concerned about you, but, you know, we've got other responsibilities. Now, do you think that's going to be acceptable to the IRS? Huh? Just try it. Go try it. Try it on your governor. Go see if he'll accept that kind of an offering. But all the time, people come to the Lord and they say, Lord, I know the tithe is holy unto you, it's yours, but Lord, I, you know, I've had sickness and we've had difficulty and God's been out of, I've been out of work, so, so Lord, I'm just not going to tithe. I'm going to give you a few flea-bitten leftovers. <laughs> I'm going to eat the cake and give you the crumbs, God. But I want you to know now, you're still my Lord. You're still my Master. God says, I'm insulted by that. I'm insulted by that kind of worship. Think about it another way. And I realize that you're the folks that are here today and came out the rain. Think about a day like today when it's raining. Kind of dreary. Big people roll over in bed, pick out the window. Oh, boy. Rain clouds up there. Dark, boy, it feels like a good day just to sleep in. I mean, when? They decide they're not coming to church to worship the Lord. It's not, this is not about keeping a perfect track record. It ain't about me being happy with you. This is about you and I getting up and realizing we've got a father who's adopted us into the family. We've got a master that we're going to stand before one day and say, I want to worship you. But we say, well, it's raining. I mean, you know, we've all done that. You ever done that? Don't answer. <laughs> I believe for every drop that falls, a Baptist stalls. <laughs> Why do we do that? Well, I just don't feel like getting up today. I think I'm just going to sleep in today. I want to ask you a question. If it's raining like this tomorrow, are you going to work? Or are you going to get up and say, tell your boss, well, you know, it, it was raining. I just decided I wouldn't come. I thought I'd just sleep in. 
See, that's what Malachi is saying. Try that on your governor. Try that on your boss. See if they'll accept it. Or, or men, let me tell you men what to do. You go out and spend four, five hundred, six hundred dollars on a new suit of clothes, new outfit. Then you give your wife, you bring her home a six dollar dress from Goodwill. <laughs> See what happens. Try that on your governor. See if they'll accept it. Now, how did they despise the name of the Lord? Now, I'm just telling you what God said here. How did they do it? By their sacrifices. They were eating the cake and giving God the leftovers, the crumbs. If you want to make your worship come alive, you bring to God your very best. It's not the only way, but I'm telling you, it's the biggest block in many of our lives. Giving the first fruits of all your increase. If on the first day of the week you honor the Lord with the best. And don't, listen, don't you let God take second place in your offerings. You reverence the name of God. Because you and I can despise the name of God by our sacrifice. I want to give you a principle. If your gift means little to you, it will mean little to him. I mean, if you just give in such a fashion that it doesn't, you don't know if you did it or not, it's not going to mean a lot to you, it's not going to mean a lot to him. Now, there's a fascinating passage. I want you to see it. Keep your place there and turn to 2 Samuel. Yes, I cheated and marked mine. 2 Samuel, chapter 24. I think it's worth every one of us turning there to see it. I want to show you something. David had... Uh, David was the leader of the nation of Israel, and they were, there was a plague on the land. And David wanted the plague gone, and David knew that the way to do it was to offer up authentic worship. In fact, he was told he needed to do it. And so there was a plague on the land. David wanted the plague to be stopped. And we're going to pick up the story, 2 Samuel chapter 24, about verse 19. Second Samuel chapter 24, verse 19. You don't have a Bible? That's okay. Just get on with someone beside of you. Or do, I'm going to read it out loud. Verse 19, we pick up the story. So David, according to the word of God, uh, Gad, went up as the Lord commanded. Now, Aruna, and, and Aruna was a very well-to-do man. Aruna owned a lot of stuff, and... Aruna looked and he saw the king, that is David, and his servants coming toward him. So Aruna went out and he bowed himself before the king with his face to the ground. And Aruna said, Why has my Lord come to his servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor from you, to build an altar to the Lord, that this plague may be withdrawn from the people. Now Aruna, in verse 22, said to David, Let my Lord the king take and offer up whatever seems good to him. Look, here are oxen for burnt sacrifice threshing implements, the yokes of the oxen for the wood. All these, O king, Aruna gives to you. And Aruna said, may, may, may the Lord your God accept you. And this is great because Aruna's heart is right. He says, you, David, you're the king. You take any, this is, this is yours. You take it all. Take it all. And may God bless you. Look what David says. Every stingy person ought to read this verse. king said to Aruna, no, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. 
For I will not offer a burnt offering to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. David, I'll give it to you. You go worship. You know what David said? I can't do it. I won't do it. I won't come before the Lord my God, no matter how large it may be, if it doesn't cost me something. Now, I want you to listen to that principle again. If it means little to you, it'll mean little to God. You won't worship to be an excitement to you again. You won't praise to be real to you. Do you want to be really overcome with this presence and overwhelmed with a sense of awe? And when you come before the Lord, you bring an offering and you bring the best and you bring it willingly out of love and gratitude for your Father who has adopted you into the family. Bring it reverently to your loving Master so that when you do that, it costs you something. But you trust Him and you will be set free. See, this is the primary reason in America... That we're not experiencing the, the joy of the Lord. Now, I'm talking to those of you who've been coming. I'm not talking to first-time guests. I'm talking to those of you who've been coming but for a long time. You've been treating God with contempt. For a long time, you've been just, just throwing Him some crumbs. But asking for His blessings. Now listen to me. God's name can not only be defiled by our sacrifice, God's name can be defiled by our service. I want you to go back to Malachi chapter 1. I want you to look at verse 12. You know what the Lord said about the temple and, and those who, who serve there? Actually, look at verse, verse 10. This just astounded me when I read it. Look at verse 10. Who is there among you who could shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on the altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I even accept an offering from your hands. God was saying, it'd be better for you to nail the church door shut than to continue to worship in vain, dishonoring Flippant ways. Now, think about it. If you know the historical setting of the book of Malachi, then you know that when Malachi was writing this, God had just departed and his glory. God had just written what we, the word Bible says, written in a sense the word Ichabod. The glory has departed of that whole place. And God had moved out. And so Malachi, God's prophet, is speaking. And you know what he says to the people that were leading the worship there? Why don't you just shut the doors and quit playing church? Because God wasn't there. God had already left. Now listen to me. If you're going to worship God, God's got to be present. If you're going to feel His presence, He's got to be present. You listen to me, and I mean this well. America would be far better off right now if we had fewer churches, and all of them, though, were alive and on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. And all these dead places that we call churches, but allow everything that God condemns, because He's a holy and righteous God. We don't get to make up the rules. 
And we don't get to make them up if we're rich, white, middle class folks. And we don't get to make them up if we're gay or lesbian. We don't get to make them up if we're straight. We don't get to make them up if we're male or female. We don't get to make them up if we're lower, upper, middle, upper, social, economic class. We don't make the rules. He's the master. But I tell you, you go into churches. I heard somebody today, well, Friday to me back there and said, I just heard of a seminary. We had a, read a report today of a seminary who has now instructed all their instructors and professors, you can no longer refer to God as Father or Him. Now listen, you can pass all the laws and all the decrees and all the rules you want to. That is asinine. That is stupid. That is dumb. Ridiculous. Whatever. It is rebellious. And God in heaven has not changed. Now I'm telling you this. Why? Oh boy, he sounds like he's mad. No, I'm not mad. I'm your pastor. And I'm going to come under judgment of that same master when I go before him. And I want him to be able to at least say, if you guys don't act right, at least you told him. But it's not any good for me and other pastors in this land to give and by the way, I don't even want to go there. <laughs> I wasn't asking. And I ain't going to Listen, there's one person that's going to save this country. There's one person that's going to save your soul. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He's not a little puppet on a string. He's not somebody you can wind up a little doll and get him out here and do little tricks for you and look good for you and make you feel good and look good and make you feel clean and then you go shove him in the corner while you go do what you want to do. He's the creator of this universe and he, he gave his own life blood for you and me. And, 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 he, and it, listen, when we refuse... When we refuse and we say, this is what we want, and God is saying, no, that is destructive, that is wrong, that is damaging to you, and we go our own way. Listen, people ask me all the time, do you think God is judging America? Listen, I don't know, but I'll tell you this, the greatest judgment God can put on this country wouldn't be to send something on us, it'd be for him to just say to us, you go your way. All right, you just go your way. It's yours. And it doesn't matter which people group he says that to. The moment he tells any of us, you're on your own. Go your way. We're in danger. We're not in danger. We're doomed. Sometimes the truth of this word doesn't feel good to me. I mean, I don't know why it is. Everybody thinks a light preacher probably lives so away like he told the rest of us not to sin. Shoot, I have to not sin all the time. I mean, if I can help it, and I sin all the time, and I read this book, and it condemns me. But what it also tells me is that that same holy God who tells me these things, tells me this for my good, tells me this so I can live life happy, tells me this so life here and everlasting life is full and complete. And so I can be redeemed. The same God who says, don't do that, knows me. He created me and He loves me. And He knows what's best for us. Amen. 
I'm amazed, disappointed, I'm saddened that I see pastors and people call themselves pastors and people call themselves churches. No more a church than anything. You know, God's just just saying all what you're doing. I'm sick of it. You're profaning my name. You're despising my holy name. You're offering flea-bitten, half-hearted animals for sacrifice. You're turning up your noses at my worship. So just go ahead and close the church and quit playing church. It's an insult to my holy name. That's exactly what half-hearted worship is. As I close, God's name can be despised, his name can be defiled, but you know what should happen. You know me, you know I'm a positive guy overall. God's name never needs to be despised and it never needs to be defiled. And by the way, may I just say, I'm telling you as your pastor, please be careful that you don't associate the name of our God with any, any political candidate. With anyone. <clears throat> God's name is not to be despised. And no man on this face of this earth. Me chiefly and most. Is never to be associated with him. As far as. You know. I'm God's solution for this community. No I'm not. The Lord Jesus Christ is. Amen. Mary could humble herself. And get back where she needs to be. We wouldn't need anybody to <laughs> His name's not to be despised. It's not to be defiled. But I'll tell you what God's name does need to be. And this is what I want, Calvary. Y'all listen to me. Please listen to me. we got about a year and a half. And we're going to be reaching, trying to reach all kinds of people who aren't like us. And we got to humble ourselves. And we don't need to despise his name. And we don't need to defile his name. But here's what we need. We need to declare his name. Look at verse 11. Look at it. I love this. Just getting back from India. And I read this. Look at verse 11. From the, for from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. Underline that, among the Gentiles. In every place incense shall be offered to my name, a pure Offering for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. What is this talking about? Think about the time when it was written. <clears throat> Old Testament. About 400 years, Jesus was coming. And what Malachi is doing, and God is telling, Malachi is looking forward to the time when Messiah, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ would come and he would reach out not only to the Jewish people but out to the Gentiles and God's name would be praised not only in Jerusalem but all over this world. A time which is now when God will get glory due to his name through the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what the name Jesus means? You know what it means? Jehovah saves. That's what it means. That's the way the name of Jesus, like incense, all 
over this world is ascending to God in praise. And how God loves that sweet incense of the name of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as He hears it in true, unashamed worship from people all over this world who've never heard before. Listen, we are people of that name. Amen? We are people of that name. You know why? Because we're saved by that name. Acts 4.12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And we worship in that name. Jesus said, Where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. But we have authority in that name. The Bible says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who we represent, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. There's answered prayer in that name. Amen? Someone walked up to me this morning and said, there's a lot of miracles here. There's answered prayer in the name of Jesus. Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the name of Jesus is to be offered up as sweet-smelling incense would be offered up in the Old Testament to God the Father. You learn something of the nature of God. Learn something of the name of God, the power and majesty in that name. Your worship will become alive to you. You won't be so worried about if we miss a word or we don't sing the song you want because you'll be in His presence. A pastor, Ron Dunn, told of an experience he had. I don't think I'll ever forget it. He said, when my children were... Little, he said, they all went to the county fair, you know, with some fun. Some of the relatives' kids went with them, were with his children. He said, they all wanted to ride the rides at the county fair. And rather than paying for the rides one at a time, what Ron did, he just bought a great big roll of tickets. And they were all going to be there on the same day, so he just said the kids kept coming up. You know, they'd, 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 they'd line up at the octopus or at the Ferris wheel, you know, and he said, I'd just stand there and I'd tear off the tickets as they came by. They'd just, he said, pretty soon they would just come by with their hands out, you know. took my tickets. You know, he said, I was standing in front of one ride and all the kids came past. I was just tearing off the tickets. And he said, this one little boy I'd never seen before. <laughs> just came right on through too. Put out his hand. He said, I looked at him and then I took my ticket back like this. But he said, my son walked up to me. He said, Daddy, that's Jimmy. He's a friend of mine. And I told Jimmy you'd give him a ticket. You know what Ron? You know what Ron Dunn said he did? He said, listen, he said, I gave him a ticket because he said, as a good father, I would never let my son be a liar. And my son said that I would give him a ticket. So I gave him a ticket. Yeah. <laughs> now, my dear friend, that's what it is to pray in the name of Jesus. We don't get a ticket because we deserve it. When we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to the Father, the Lord Jesus says, Father, that's Jack. They're your name. They're my friend. Father, I told them you'd do this for them. They prayed my name. 
Do it, my name, Father. Do it. Hey, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, may his name be great. There's salvation and worship and authority and prayer in the name of Jesus. Take that name with you when you leave these doors. You will never be disappointed in him. Come before his glorious presence when you come in those doors. Lifting up and offering up that name as a sweet incense and offering to God. And you see if worship doesn't come alive in your heart. Yes. I close with this. You not only need to see the nature of God. He's a father. He's a master. Not only do you need to understand his name, the authority that's in it, the forgiveness that's in it, but you need to see the nobility of God if you want worship to be real. Not just his nature, not just his name, the nobility. Look at verse 14, and I'm finished. But cursed be the deceiver. Cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male, that is, what they were supposed to give, and takes a vow, but then sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. Why? Look at it. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Three things as I close that we've learned about this passage in our worship. He's a father. We're his sons and daughters. He, he's a master. And we are his servants. Amen? He's a king. And we're his subjects. Keep that in your mind every time you come to worship. He's a father. I'm coming to honor him. This is about him. He's a master. I'm coming to serve him. He's a king. Bow before him. Bow before him. Break the back of the pride in your life and bow before him. He's a great king. I love, I love, I love the way this passage begins in verse 6. Verse 6, it says he's a father. It ends in verse 14. He's a king. You ever notice how much? Notice, now pay attention. How much that's just like the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven. And then the end. For thine is the kingdom. Isn't that wonderful? You know what you've got in him? A Father who hears me. A king. Who answers me? When you come to church, you're never in any higher company than you're in here because Jesus Christ is here. And you're at the feet of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I say to you as the church, as Calvary Baptist Church, all hail the power. Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him, Jesus, Lord of all. And that's all we need. That's all we should know. And that's all we need. 
And that's all we're called to do. And he can change our worship. If we just have the right heart and the right focus. Let's pray. I wonder if while we're just bowed, Some of us, obviously, we just need to say, Lord, I've, my focus has gotten off of you. I've been bringing you crumbs and I've been eating the cake. I haven't respected you as my father, honored you. I haven't, I certainly haven't feared you as my master. But today that changes with me. I don't want to insult you. I want to respect you and honor you. I think every one of us here to some extent can identify with this message. And find, if we're honest, areas in our life where we need to stop insulting God. I know pleasant messages like this aren't pleasant, but they are good for us. They keep our perspectives straight. So I ask you now, as we prepare to just sing this song, you just respond as the Holy Spirit leads. Don't make this response light. Make it seriously before your Father master and a king to give him out of your life whatever it is that he deserves whatever it is I pray in Jesus name Amen so let's stand together as we sing a hymn of invitation this is a time when we stand together we sing we respond to the message some do by coming forward for prayer praying uh, if you want to know Christ and be saved, uh, I can help you with that. One of our pastors, Tony, will be here. Um, whatever it is, don't get, don't just, just respond to the message. Just do what God says to you. He deserves a right response to this message. Not me, him. It's all about him. Joy and Bobby, if y'all would please just leave us as the Lord leads.